0: series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber.
1: Well, would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We begin with verse 8 today in a few moments as we warm up to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to entitle this message, which will be continued, will be to each his own. To each his own. Now, you wonder why I do so much review. I think review is very, very important. Sometimes people say, I sound like a broken record. I remember Joe Parks, when he used to be here on this earth, he's in heaven today, rejoicing. He used to tell me, Wayne, you're like a soap opera. I can leave for six weeks, come back and never miss a thing because you're still in the same verse, probably in the next word. (laughs) Well, you know, you learn that way. If If you forget the context, that's where confusion will come in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verses one, two, and three, the apostle Paul once again, now we've been in this book for a year and a half and you've watched this over and over again, he once again exposes the spiritual immaturity of the Corinthian church. He talks to them very clearly and very openly in verses one, two, and three. Then in verses four, five, and six, he begins to lay a grid. Now this grid is what chapters 12, 13, and 14 has got to fit in. You must see them as a unit. If you only see them so divided from each other, you haven't caught the thought. You cannot do chapter eight without doing chapter eight, nine, and 10 because it's a unit. Just like chapters 11, 12, and 13 fit together as a unit. Well, he gives us a grid. There are five things in that grid that we pulled out of it. First of all, is the focus of spiritual gifts. Now, I said this last week and we preached upon it two weeks ago, but I want to come back to it again over and over and over, we'll be saying this through chapter 12 through 14. The focus is never the gift. The focus is always the giver. Confusion, um, misunderstanding, bitterness, and division comes when you focus on the gift and you do not focus on the giver. Now he brings this out very beautifully there in verses four five, and six. And the way he does the focus there, he says there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God. And when the God is used there with a definite article, it means God, the father. So you have the whole Trinity here, the wholeness of God being involved in these spiritual gifts. But there are two words that are being contrasted. The word variety, and we pointed this out last time again, the word variety is not referring to the fact that gifts are different. The word has to do not with the differences in the gifts, but in the differences in the distribution of those gifts. That needs to be understood. The only time the word is used is right here in the New Testament. If you go on down to verse 11 of that chapter as we've reviewed before, it gives you another understanding of that word, a form of that word is used, talking about the distributing of the gifts. Now. This has something to say to us. Not only does God give the gifts unevenly, but he gives them at the time he chooses to give them. Now, we must understand this. There are varieties of gifts. God's ways are not our ways. You cannot figure him out. But the character of God never changes. He says, the same God, the same Lord, the same Christ, the same Spirit, all of them, I get the words mixed up, the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God the Father. The consistency of the character of God. It flows all the way through the passage. So God never changes His character, but His ways are not going to be figured out by man. God's a purposeful God. God does what He does to accomplish His purpose, not man's purpose. And this is the point Paul's trying to bring across to these Corinthian believers. So once the focus Gets where it ought to be. And it's on the giver and not the gift. Then in verse 4, you start looking at the fabric of the gifts. He says the fabric is the Holy Spirit of God. He's the giver of the gifts. And we went through the scriptures and showed that in Peter, Peter brings out the fact that these gifts are multicolored. Multicolored simply gave me the idea of the fabric. The same Spirit gives the gifts even though they may have different colors. They're going to differ in themselves. And because they differ, it will cause us to differ by the gifts that God has given to us. Then thirdly, we see the function of each gift in verse 5. The function is to minister to others in the body of Christ. How many times do we get a gift? We talk about a gift of how it ministers to us That gift was not given to minister to you. However, you will fully enjoy when God's using it in your life. That gift is given to to minister to others in the body of Christ. That's the function of the gifts. The word theakinia means to serve others. That's the word for ministries in verse 5. But then, fourthly, in verse 6, we see the follow up of gifts. Gifts can be faked. I hate to tell you this. Gifts can be faked. But if the effect cannot, the eternal effect is what must be there. And when you have to follow up the gifts, when there's, someone says, I have a gift, I have a ministry, well, there's going to be a divine effect. And this is something different than what humans can affect. This is something that only God can affect. And then also in verse 6, he shows the main factor of all the gifts, and that is they unify and they edify. He speaks of God who fills all in all. You must remember that when God is filling all in all, he's in total control of something. It's God in us, controlling us, working through us, His purpose, and when he does that, he's edifying, he's unifying the body of Christ. There is no division when God is at work in the body of Christ. The only thing that divides is when people refuse to respond to the Word of God, and then the Word itself becomes a sword and divides. But when the Spirit of God is working in each person's heart, he will unify, he'll edify, and it'll point to the fact that God truly is in control. Now, before we go too much farther, There are three words that we need to begin to understand that are gonna come out in our text that we're gonna follow. The The first one we've already looked at is in verse seven. And that's the word heskatos. Heskatos means each one. Verse seven, but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The word there, heskatos, means each one. Now, what does that say to us? That means to each and every believer in the family of God. There has been a gift given. No matter where, no matter when, there's been a gift given. Nobody is left out of the economy of the purposes of God. God chooses to give the gifts as He wills, but He has given each believer. A gift whether you like it or not this morning, you have a gift. <laughs> I want to add some gifts to that sometimes, but they're more fleshly than they are of the spirit. The gift of dissension. I believe many people in the, in the congregation of believers of the 20th century have the gift of dissension. There's some of them who have the gift of gab, like, all kind of those gifts. but there's a spiritual gift also given to the body of Christ. Nobody is left out, no matter how you feel as if you've been left out. God says you've been given. A gift, and that gift is to be used and energized by His Spirit so they can minister to others. Don't ever think for a second that you've been left out of the economy of God. When you become a part of His body, to put it in another way, you become like an organ, a member of that body. Paul uses that analogy in Romans chapter 12. You're a part, and there's no such thing in a healthy body as a selfish organ. So that's one of the words I want us to look at. But there are two other words I want us to remember. The other word, the next word, is the word alas, the word for another. It's used in verse 8. For the first time it comes up, alas, the word for another. Look at verse 8. For to one is given the, uh, the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now, the word can be used just as a numerical number. You say, well, give them this and give this to another. But the fact that there are two words for another and they're both used in the context of chapter 12, then you're going to have to make some distinction because that word "allos" also means, not just another numerically, but also means another of the very same kind. Now hang on to that thought. You say, Wayne, where can you show me that in scripture? Very easily. In John chapter 15 and verse 17, Jesus said, speaking to his own, he says, you Love one another. He speaks to those of the same kind. Does that mean they don't love the world? No, but that's not his context right there. He's speaking to his own. Love one another and those born of like faith. He's speaking to the the believers, those who are following him. Then in John Chapter 14 and verse 16, and I think one of the most critical places that you can see the word "allos," meaning not just another one, but in the sense of another of the same kind. It says in John 14, 16, Jesus is explaining to his disciples why he has to go back to the Father. And Peter, you know, is one that is very distraught about the whole thing. And Jesus says in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And later on he says, not only with you, but in you. Now who's he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And what is he saying? Another exactly like me. Not just any old other, but another exactly like me. So you have to make a distinction here. When the two words are used in the same context, you have to see alas not just as another one, but another of the same kind. Now every believer in the body of Christ could be used with that word alas the same, of, of the same kind. Why? Because in contrast to the world, we're all born out of the same faith. We're all born by the Holy Spirit, birthed into the kingdom of God, and placed into the body of Christ. But in the midst of being of the same kind, there are many differences to the people that are in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, all of the same faith, all in the same body, all came in the same way, but are different from one another. So the next word that must be looked at is the word heteros, which is the word another, translated another, but it means another of a different kind. Heteros, look in verse nine. He says, to another faith by the same spirit. And then he says, to another, and the word allos he comes right back into it. So you're seeing two different words used here. You're seeing one of the same kind. Heteros being of another kind. So to another by the same spirit. We get the word heterosexual from this word. Can you see it? All of us are the same human species, but heteros of different sexes. There's the male, there's the female. They're different. They're of the same kind, but they're of a different kind, all within the whole. So these are very important words to understand. What makes us different in the body of Christ are many things. Personalities make us different. You know, I've met, y'all don't know what I look at when I'm preaching. Y'all know what you look at when I'm preaching, but y'all don't know what I look at when I'm preaching. There are some people that I think have been somehow nourished on formaldehyde. I mean, if they smile, their face is going to break. I mean, they got personalities that I won't understand and don't understand and probably will never understand. They're in the body of Christ. But they, their personalities make us different. Temperaments make, temperaments make us different. There's some people in the body of Christ that worry over how fast their grass grows in the spring. I've never seen anything like it. They stop at a red light, they think they've done something wrong because it turned red on them. There are people like that in the body of Christ. That makes us different. Personalities, temperaments. There's also intelligence makes us different. (laughs) I I keep telling this, it sounds like a broken record when Eddie and Rick were talking that day and they were both really, they're the intelligent brains on my staff and Eddie and Rick said, you know, I only made one B in my whole life and I'm thinking, Me too. We just came at it from different directions. (laughs) There are many things that establish differences in the body of Christ. But there's one thing in the context of chapter 12 that establishes difference. And it's not personality, and it's not temperament, although these things may have a role in it. They're the gifts that God giveth to us. But five, the categories of those gifts are different. And because they're different, they make us different in the body of Christ. So we're all the same. But there are different gifts that are given to us that put us into the different categories that God has chosen to put us in. The gifts are different, the ministries are different, the effects are different, but we're all the same, by the same faith, in the same body, we came in the same way. But God puts us in those categories as different because of the gifts that He divinely has purposed to give to us. So in verse 8, to another is given, I believe would be to another of the same kind. And then in verse 9, but to another is given to another of a different kind. He moves from this category to this category. And then again, before he's finished, he moves to this category. The three different categories that people fall into according to the differences in the way God has gifted them. Now listen, God never throws away our individuality. He simply infuses it with his spirit, with the gifts that he gives. I personally think, and this is not our study, but just as an opinion, which is worth about what, 25 cents? Maybe not that much. But my opinion is he doesn't throw your personality away. He even tailors your gifts to the human personalities and temperaments that you have but that cannot be argued or proved or anything else. I'm not trying to do that. He does not throw away your individuality. However, he does infuse himself into the midst of that individuality, and he gives you gifts that somehow are even tailored to who you are as a person. So, God has a purpose. Now, folks, listen. If the focus of the gifts is the giver, then you must back off and say, I'm on holy ground here. He has a purpose. I may not understand that purpose. And in his divine purpose he chooses that Wayne has this gift and that Wayne has this ministry and that Wayne has this effect. He chooses that Brother Spiros has this gift and he has this ministry and he has this effect. He chooses that Davis has this gift and this ministry and this effect and he is the one who makes those choices and he gives the gifts when he wants to give them and he gives the gifts where he wants to give them. The gifts are not the issue. The giver is the issue. Well, let's wade in to these gifts. It's kind of deep water, so let's just go slow, take a step at a time. As I told some of you, I'm just going to irritate the stew out of some of you because I'm just going to go so slow. I don't want to miss anything as we walk through this. The first thing I want you to look at is the critical truth about gifts. And I think so often it's completely overlooked, the critical truth about gifts. Now listen, unless you're surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, attached to Him, and just wanting only what he wants, as the Corinthian church was not, by the way, your gifts are useless. Even though you have them, they're not usable. And that has got to be understood. No man can command his gift to work as a whim of his own fleshly desires. This is something God does when God chooses to do it through the gift that he has already chosen to give. No wonder the Corinthian church came upside down when it came to spiritual gifts and the reason why Paul has to do what he does in the chapter 12, 13 and 14. They were in no way connected to Christ. They were in the sense of of their walk. Yes, as far as salvation. However, in second Corinthians, he even asked them, you better make sure you're of the faith. Some of them weren't even saved. And they were arguing, being arrogant, over these gifts and Paul is trying to straighten them out. You don't argue about a gift, you just fall in submission to the giver. You let the gift take care of itself. This is so critical as we walk through it. Now this thought is driven home by the tense of the verb that is used there in verse eight. And I'll be honest with you, I thought it was in the aorist tense which means to one is given at a certain specific point in time, but it's not. It's in the present tense and it's in the passive voice. To one is being given. Whoa. Now, what does that do to our thinking? I thought you said, Brother Wayne, that you got a gift when you got saved. When the Holy Spirit came in and you received grace, with the grace came the gift. What do you mean he is continually giving? Does that mean that these gifts are continually giving to this one and to that one? No, 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 no. He says to that one is given. To this one is given. Now, that's important here. He says, as each one has received, oh, 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 turn over to 1 Peter 4, verse 10. I'm getting ahead of myself. I forgot, you got to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We know that at one point, specific point in time, we received a gift. We know that. I want you to show that what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 12 is not contradicting what we've already said. We do have a gift. We received it when we received the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. I want to show you the tense of the verb he uses there. He says in verse 10, in the context of spiritual gifts, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now the tense of the verb receive there is in the aorist tense. You received it at a specific point In time, So that that goes back and justifies what we've already said. When you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live in you. He comes bearing gifts. Those gifts are wrapped in the fruit, which is the love uh, produced by him, and you have a gift. So we have received a gift, 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, and Paul says almost identically the same thing, using the same tense. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. He says in verse six of Romans 12, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace, look at the next phrase, given to us. That's aorist tense. So we've got two passages here that justify the fact that when we get saved, we receive a gift. That gift is given to us. Now, why would Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 point to the fact of the present tense? He is consistently giving to us. To me, what Paul is doing there in chapter 12 is trying to show the Corinthians who would not understand it apart from the understanding of the Holy Spirit of God. He's trying to show them that the continuing effect of that gift, the energizing of that gift. Remember last time we talked about how the Holy Spirit energizes the gift, the Lord Jesus energizes the ministry, God the Father energizes the effect. It's no good when we try to do it yourself. God has to continually do this. Now what this does, this shifts the whole prerogative back to the giver again. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We can't just do with it what we want to do with it. We've got to be surrendered to him. He continually energizes it. I can't energize it. He energizes it that lives within me. So he's continually giving these gifts to to his people that he's already given them to. You see the point? How many people think they can hang a shingle on their door? I have this gift. You walk in and I'll exercise it on you, baloney. You can't exercise any gift except your surrender to him and only at the prerogative of the one who gave it. He's the one who continues it. He's the one who energizes it. I'll tell you what this does. This knocks your pride right out the door. This completely knocks the ladder right out from under the arrogance of people who say, well, I have this gift. And God says, baloney, you don't have a gift. What you have is a bunch of flesh because you're bragging about it. If you have a gift, you're on your face before me because it's not even usable unless I energize it. It's continually given to the one to whom it's already been given. It's kind of like being saved, isn't it? I was saved, but I am continually being saved and shall one day be saved. And I think the emphasis here begins again to shift away from the gift. That was what was grabbing the attention of the Corinthians. That's what's grabbing the attention of people in the 20th century, looking at the gifts and not looking at the giver. It's a critical truth. Gifts, now listen to me, can be and have been faked. You can fake a gift, friend. Ministries can be faked. You can fake the effects For them to be of God, they must speak of Him. They must never be out of the character of the One who gave them." You find somebody arrogantly saying, I have this gift and I'm going to leave you and divide myself from you. Look out, because they're denying the very character of the Lord Jesus who gave them that gift, which does nothing but unify and edify the body of Christ. They're always under the prerogative of the One who has given them. The gifts that God has given to me, there have been many times that because of my unwillingness to surrender to him, standing in the pulpit, I have not even realized the gift that God has given. Oh, I could still speak. I could do that in my sleep. But the gift and the ministry is something he has to affect. And the effects of those gifts are something he has to produce. So it is being given. It has been given, Ariston. It is being given. He's the one who consistently is the one in control of any gift that he gives. I'll tell you why. Because he's not out to help us accomplish our purposes. He's out to accomplish his purpose in and through us. And so therefore he does what only he can do in our life. So the critical truth, I think, that a person has continually got to nail down in his life, it all hinges on my willingness to surrender to him whatever gift God chooses to give, has given and chooses to energize in my life. Well, the second thing we want to do is begin to look at the categories of those who have received God's gifts. Now, something that I wonder if you've ever thought about. When people teach spiritual gifts, what I've come across is that they always take Romans 12. They take 1 Corinthians 12. They take Ephesians 4 and even throw in 1 Peter, which talks about the gift of hospitality. They cram them all into one box and they say, this is the complete teaching on gifts in the New Testament. Now, I wanna tell you where I'm coming from this morning. I think that is off the wall. You have got to look Romans on the integrity and look at the book of Romans on the integrity of what is taught in the book of Romans, contextually. And when you come to 1 Corinthians 12, you've got to back off and say, wait a minute. I've been in this book for a year and a half. I'm 12 chapters deep into it. I know something about this church now that I never knew before when I read chapter 12. Now, Paul, why are you doing what you're doing with the gifts in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians that you didn't do in Romans 12 and that you didn't do in Ephesians 4? There's something specific that he's doing. For instance, he's gonna begin with speaking gifts. Why would he begin with speaking gifts at Corinth? Because that was where their problem was. We've identified that in the first three verses of this chapter. You've got to fit what he's saying into the context of the people he's saying it to. This is not a complete teaching on gifts. What he's trying to show them is the difference of what God does, the ministries that he affects, the the effects of those ministries that are so different from what they are getting enamored with in the church that's strictly nothing more than the flesh and the world. Well, the first group is what I call, now. understand something, this is what I call them. I have to do my own study, and so I'm not the last word. You know that. I'll never say that I'm the absolute on anything, The word of God is the authority. But I see it as being the equipping gifts. He starts off with the equipping gifts. And I'll show you why I say that. Verse eight, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now, if we weren't talking about spiritual gifts in the the sense of how it ministers to the body, this could get very confusing because God gives wisdom to anybody who is willing to admit to him that they lack it. God gives liberally to whoever will come to him. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about people in the body who have a specific giftedness in the wisdom of God. He calls it the word of wisdom. Now let's look at it phrase by phrase. He says, for to one is given. Now the Greek term there, as I understand it, is not to one, but to to that one. It's, It's very specific. To that one right there. Hello, got that point? To that one right there. It's a specific one. Woke half of you up. All right. To that one. And then the word forgiven is the word didome, which means to be given as an act of goodwill toward that one that he gives to. Here again. Here again. I hope you can see what I'm trying to say. The gratitude we ought to have. God, out of his goodwill, says, Wayne, I know you're a louse. You're a sinner. And your flesh is rotten. But Wayne, I love you. I love you so much. And Wayne, since you've received me into your heart, I've come in, I want to use you. Wayne, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing to show my good intentions towards you because all I ever do is good towards you. I want to give you a gift. To that one right there is being given, as we saw in the present tense. Now I want to say it again, again, unless you're surrendered to him, because it's in the present tense, that means he's got to consistently energize it only according to his will and according to his purpose. Hang on to that thought. It's gonna carry us all the way through chapter 14. Now Paul says, for to that one is given as an act of goodwill, the word of wisdom through the spirit. The word of wisdom. Now what in the world is he talking about? Well, the word for word is the, is the word that means intelligent, understandable, That which communicates to others and signifies, in my understanding, it denotes a speaking gift, the word of wisdom. In other words, somebody has been given a speaking gift here. What are the gifts for? Benefit the body. They're not to benefit the person. God has given the ability to certain ones to speak wisdom to the body of Christ. Now, the word for wisdom is the word Sophia. To simplify it, and I guarantee you I'm oversimplifying it, but for the sake of time and for the sake of what we're doing, to simplify it, Sophia is the word having to do with the application of the deep spiritual truths that come out in God's word. The ability to take God's word out of the head and put it into the heart and relate it to everyday situations. This kind of wisdom is not a human acquisition, but it's a wisdom that only comes from God. That's why it's so important to understand that there are two kinds of wisdom. Look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20-24. through 24, Paul is really lambasting the wisdom of men. Men have their own way of how they live, how they practically live day by day. But God has a wisdom that they don't have. It comes from knowing, first of all, the Word of God, but secondly, God beginning to take that Word and making it practical to fit every area of your life. I had somebody one time Say to me, well, the word of God doesn't have anything to do with the things I'm going through today. Oh, yes, it does. Well, no, no, I've studied it, and I don't see anything of what's going on today in that word. Wait a minute. Do you have the wisdom to take what is being said there and to be able to relate it to where you live? God gives that. That's wisdom. And they're gifted people to speak the word of wisdom. Verse 20, where is the wise man, Paul says? Where is the scribe? And he speaks of the the human wisdom of the world. Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased to the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, or the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There's two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. A great, great theologian once was asked to speak at the University of North Carolina Chapel, I believe it was that particular school in that area of our country. And after he spoke, he opened it up to questions. And some fellow sitting out there, very intellectual, said, Sir, what is the deepest and greatest theological truth that God has ever given to you? Hoping that he would say something that would really challenge their mind. And the man said, in order to utter simplicity, He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Completely different from how the world would look at wisdom. The simplicity, but yet the profundity of the wisdom that God gives. Then again in chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says, I don't want your faith to rest upon the wisdom of men. Now what I'm trying to show you is there's two kinds of wisdom already identified in the book of Corinthians. They were so tuned in and so enamored by the human wisdom of this world, but Paul said, listen, the ones who've been giving, speaking gifts, and they stand up before the body of Christ, these people that are gifted, they don't speak the wisdom of men, they speak the wisdom of God. They're the ones who can take God's word and put it down to where you live. This is a gift, this is not something that's learned in a school someplace. Certainly, it's edified by the study, et cetera, but it's a gift that God gives far beyond what man could understand. So we see two kinds of wisdom, and we see a speaking gift, the word of wisdom. A person who has this gift of wisdom cannot be understood by the world or its wisdom. God and God alone gives this wisdom. And if it's God's wisdom, and if it's a speaking gift, it's there to profit the whole body of Christ. Never to profit oneself. Never for any selfish gain. It's always to profit the body of Christ. Now to be wise with God's wisdom, God says, I want this man to have this speaking gift of being able to take the wisdom of knowing how to apply and know scripture and give it to the body of Christ so they can edify and unify the body. You know, one of the greatest pictures of how we're all desperate for wisdom is found in James James says in James chapter 1, verse 5, in the context of trials, if you want to know how much wisdom you have, wait till you get backed up against a corner and there's a storm raging in your life. It doesn't take you long to figure this out. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without approach and it will be given to him. This is that wisdom that helps us to relate to circumstances what we know to be the Word of God. I want to say it again. God says, in the economy of his purpose, I want that man, that man, I can hear some of those, uh, that that man, I want him to have the gift of wisdom. Now, he's going to rock people's minds down here on this earth when he's able to take the word of God and pull the complex teachings right out of the heavenlies, right down to where everybody can relate to it and live it out day by day, but that is my gift that I want him to have and I want to energize it so that it can affect all the members of the body of Christ. If he ever uses it for selfish gain, that gift will become unusable at that moment. It's got to be used for the edification of the body of Christ. Look at here now. There's another gift that fits into this category of the equipping gifts, speaking gifts as I understand them. Verse 8, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. Now, when he uses the word another there, you strap on your seatbelts. here it comes, to another of the very same kind. Now, all the gifts serve, but here's the speaking gifts very clearly brought out to me. The word of knowledge. Now, what makes him of the same kind? Not his faith, because that, we're already that way. What makes him of the same kind? It's his gift. His gift puts him into a category of people that makes them different than other categories of people that God chooses to use and to accomplish His purposes in the body of Christ. We've seen that the word of wisdom is obviously the ability to take God's word, make it applicable and practical to people and to benefit the body. Well, here, this next gift also involves God's word, but in a little different way. He says, and to another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. The word, word there again, meaning to me that it's a speaking gift and it's intelligent, understandable, but not only that, it's the word of knowledge. Now, some people who have speaking gifts also have writing gifts, etc. but whatever this gift does, it benefits the body of Christ. There are two words for knowledge in case you don't know that. There's the word iva, which comes from a form of hara'o, which means to divinely perceive, to intuitively know. That doesn't mean that you don't have to add knowledge to that, but there's an intuitiveness to that. You know, the intuitive knowledge we've covered before. It's like my wife, she says, Wayne, I just know this. and I said, how do you know it? She said, I don't know, I just know. <laughs> it's that kind of knowing. It's not the kind of knowing that you go to school to get. That's the word edah. And then there's the word gnosis, which comes from that which you've had to apply yourself to get. In other words, my son will be in school, I think, for the rest of his life. I don't know when he's ever going to get out. He already has two degrees. He's getting a third degree, and I don't know, maybe he'll get a fourth. I don't know. But one of these days he'll finish, and then depending on how he applied himself will be what he now knows. But it takes effort. It takes learning, even through experience, but it takes something to acquire this knowledge. That's the word gnosis. Now, which word do you think is used here? (laughs) Very obviously the word gnosis is used here. And it's it's the word that means acquired knowledge. There are people in the body of Christ who have an ability to, I mean, clarify the great deep truths of God's word and then to edify and unify the body of Christ with them. There are people who can speak it. There are people who can write it. There are people who can assimilate it and give it out to others in the body of Christ. Now, why is this important that I made a distinction between those two words? when was the last time you was listening to somebody and they stopped in mid-sentence and said, "Ah, I just got a word of knowledge. Now, have you ever heard anybody say that? Would you raise your hand? Just raise your hand and be honest. I'm not going to put a tag on you and then say who you are. Right. For them to qualify in this particular passage for it to be the gift they say that it is, it would have to be the little verb, and it's not. It's the verb gnosis. Man, I've had people come up to me. When my little baby died years ago at birth, our little girl. Some people say, how many children do you have? I, I mistakenly say two. I've got three. I've got one in heaven that we'll get to see one day when we get there. Little Patricia Marie. People came to me while she was going through the difficulties, or Diana was rather, not knowing what was going on in her womb right there before the birth time was to take place. And people would come and say, Wayne, I've got a word of knowledge for you. God gave it to me this morning. Well, friend, I don't know what you're doing, but that doesn't qualify in this verse. This verse is to edify and build up the body of Christ. And this word of knowledge is those who are gifted to assimilate it and put it together in such a way that it gets out. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Strong's, the man named Strong ever had a gift of knowledge that he could put together a concordance like that? Do you think that Brother Spiros does not have the gift of knowledge that he can take it and benefit the whole body of Christ? You think Wayne can do that? You're out of your mind. I can't do it. I'm in a different different gift, but in the same category, you see. They're different gifts, and they're speaking gifts. Why would Paul be saying this to the people there? Why would you go to the diviners over here at the Oracle of Delphi? Why would you go to them for knowledge? God has gifted people to speak. the the word of knowledge to the body of Christ. Those who can understand truth, those who can bring it down out of its heights and bring it down to where people can clearly understand it. He's given people the gift of, of the word of wisdom who can take it and make it practical to the body of Christ. You see why he starts with the speaking gifts? It's so important for us to see that. The fact that both these gifts, the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are unique in the handling of God's word. To me, put the people who have them into a class that is different and all by itself. Now, there are others who study and still are wise because of it. There are people who study and they get knowledge from it, but the gifts are given for the benefit of the whole body. I heard somebody say one time, we're all commanded in all the gifts, but to the ones who is gifted, he helps the rest of us who are commanded to do what we're commanded to do much more gracefully. If I'm around somebody who has the gift of knowledge, the word of knowledge, who can speak it, who can write it, who can help with that. Whoa, how that helps me in my study. I've often said with my gift, I'm so grateful that God put Brother Spiros and others in my life because you can't shoot from the lip anymore. And what they do, they help load the gun. If you only had one side of that, you sometimes could shoot a blank, but now the two can come together. And God has put these into the body to edify and unify and build up the body of Christ. But wait a minute. It's still not the gift. He continues to come back to the giver. This is, how many missed this? Look at this again. Look at the, what he say, says at the end of each phrase. For to one is given the word of wisdom, what? Through the spirit. The word through there, the word via, means by the means of his spirit. Is being given by the means of his Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is continuously energizing that gift depending upon the measure of that man's surrender surrender to Christ. And then the last phrase, and to another the word of knowledge, how? According to the same Spirit. The word according, kata. Kata determines the measure of something. Now let me explain that to you. If I had a million dollars and I gave you a gift, would you want me to give ek out of my wealth? Or would you want me to give kata according to my wealth? (laughs) If you want out of my wealth, I'll give you 10 bucks and you'll be happy. If you want according to my wealth, you're going to be mucho happy because my gift has got to reflect what I have. So the Holy Spirit, according to the Holy Spirit, in other words, to the measure of how he chooses to give it, is that gift being energized in the person who has the gift. Are you with me? It's amazing to me how so many people get in here and miss the whole teaching on the giver, 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 the giver. you're gonna hear it till it sounds like a broken record. And when you come out on the end of it, no wonder, he puts chapter 13 between chapter 12 and 14 because in chapter 13, there you see the fruit that wraps up all the gifts. And if you're not living surrender to Christ, there is no love and automatically completely causes your gift to be unusable and ineffective to anybody. It only makes you arrogant, makes you proud, and makes you divide yourself from others who differ with your opinion. We're all one. We're in the same body of Christ. We have the same faith, but we're different. We're in different categories. And what makes us different is the gifts or gift that God has chosen to give us. Now understand this. We're in the equipping gifts right now, as I call them. We're about to move into the extraordinary gifts. Let me just whet your appetite just a little bit because we won't be able to do much with this. Look in verse nine. He says, and to another, faith. What's the word for another? Heteros, as I shared with you earlier. To another of a different category. Faith by the same Spirit who consistently energizes it. And then he says, and to another, look here in verse nine, to another, guess what word? Allos of the same kind. Gifts of healing, is there a gift of healing? No, they are gifts of healings, plural. He says healings by the same spirit. And then verse 10, and to another allos, the effecting of miracles. And to another allos, prophecy. And to another allos, the distinguishing of spirits. He puts them all into one category. Then look what he does right here in verse 10 to another various kinds of tongues, heteros. He changes it again and puts another category over here. What in the world is Paul doing? To me, he's not trying to teach a full teaching on gifts. He's trying to show you the diverse ways in which God operates in the body of Christ. At times, at seasons, when he chooses to operate, and he's trying to show the Corinthians the difference of what they would call wisdom the difference of what they would call an experience as to what that which is influenced by the Holy Spirit should be called. And we won't wade into that today, I guarantee you. Because the old clock says 50, 49, 48, it's coming down to 0000, which again means in the Greek, shut up, your time is through. (laughs) I want to tell you something, folks. If we end up at the end of chapter 14 and you walk out of here angry and bitter, Because of what you've heard, it is very obvious the signal that you're sending to everybody. You care very little for the giver. Your whole life is wrapped around your gift. And if your life is wrapped around your gift, no wonder you're so messed up. Wrap yourself around the giver and a lot of things will come clear. The more you focus on the gift, the more division is going to come in the body. Somebody asked me about last week, he said, Wayne, it sounded like you didn't even believe in tongues. Now, I did not say that. It's amazing. I've had a lot of messages ruined by poor hearers. Now, you pay attention to what I'm saying. I just threw up a question. You don't even know what I believe about that yet. Go in got there yet. Hang on. You may live long enough to see it. It's the giver. It's not the gift. I'll tell you what, that's the theme all the way through Scripture, isn't it? It's the giver, the giver, the giver, the giver, the giver. It's not the gift in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory. You keep focusing on him. You keep bowing before him. You keep allowing him to dictate truth in your life and you live up under it, surrender to him. And gifts will not be a problem to you. Even when you can't agree, you'll still be one because your focus is on the one who unites everyone together. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org.
0: That's jashow.org.